I'm Mary Pat Dooley of the Alameda County District Attorney's Office. Thanks for joining us for a joint production of Points and Authorities and the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide. This show will be distributed as both a video and podcast that will provide 30 minutes of general MCLE credit. Today's presentation will focus on a recent appellate court decision involving the issue of whether police departments can provide Brady tips to prosecutors' offices without running afoul of the pitches scheme. So I'm going to turn this discussion over to two individuals with extensive experience in managing Brady Banks, Alameda County Deputy District Attorney Greg Dolge and Santa Clara County Deputy District Attorney Jeff Rubin. Thanks, Mary Pat. Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, uh, an appellate court in Southern California issued an opinion in a case called Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department uh, versus Superior Court, which threw a wrench into the systems pros prosecutors have created for complying with their Brady obligations when it comes to information in peace officer personnel files. Can you give us some factual uh, background for this opinion? Greg? Yes, I can, and I will. In 2016, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, which I'm just going to refer to as the Sheriff's Department from here on in, reviewed the personnel files of its deputies and compiled a list of approximately 300 individual deputies who had at least one administratively founded allegation of misconduct involving moral turpitude. In other words, conduct which might be used to impeach a deputy's testimony in a criminal prosecution. 300 deputies? Yeah, I know it, it sounds like a lot, but consider that there are almost 10,000 sworn deputies working for the LA Sheriff. There's like another 7,000 unsworn, but it puts things into perspective. 97% of these deputies, they're not on the list. So what kind of misconduct are we talking about? Well, it's the same kind of misconduct that would get deputies placed on a Brady list in any county. I mean, there are sustained findings of violations of policies and procedures for engaging in immoral conduct, for taking bribes, uh, misappropriation of property, tampering with evidence, false statements, failure to make statements or making false statements during like a departmental internal investigation, obstructing an investigation or trying to influence a witness, putting false information in records, discriminatory harassment, use of unreasonable force, and family violence. Uh, and what was the Sheriff's Department planning to do with this list? Well, they planned to send the list of these deputies who would be identified only by name and serial number to various prosecutorial agencies that handle cases that were investigated by the Sheriff's Department. Would they provide details of the investigation or any portions of the personnel files themselves? No. Like the Brady system in both of our counties, anything more than the generic indication that there might be Brady material in the personnel file would not be disclosed to the prosecutor's offices until after a formal pitches motion and uh, an accompanying court order issued. Did the list uh, apply only to deputies with sustained or founded allegations? Yes, and if the, the allegations against a deputy were eventually overturned or they weren't proven during an appeal to the uh, LA County uh, Civil Service Commission, they wouldn't be included on the proposed Brady list. And. Uh, how did the Sheriff's Department anticipate that this list would be used by the Los Angeles County District Attorney? Well, basically, it would be used as a prompt. If a deputy on the list uh, was a witness or became a witness on a, on a filed or to-be-filed prosecution, 
the prosecutor can then either make a motion uh, pursuant to pitches to discover the conduct underlying the deputy's inclusion on the list, or provide that information to, uh, to, to the defense and let them file a pitches motion. Did the sheriff's department uh, let the affected deputies know that they were on the list? Yes. They sent out a letter to all the listed deputies explaining how the system would work. And they also warned of the possibility of assignment transfers to protect the integrity of criminal investigations in light of their disclosures. Now, what did the Sheriff's Department mean by uh, assignment transfers? Well, basically they were saying that there might be some deputies who would be shifted to positions where they were not likely to be called as a witness. The rationale being that if the information in the file was sufficiently egregious, it might cause a fact finder to question the credibility of the deputy and thus unnecessarily hinder the ability of the prosecution to obtain a conviction. The letter also explained though that this was not a punitive or disciplinary action and none would be taken against a deputy other than what was already imposed for the sustained allegation in the first place and that if they decided to transfer someone or restrict their duties it wouldn't result in the reduction of, of any salary, rank, or bonus pay. And the deputies were told that they could challenge their placement on the list and they would be entitled to a, a hearing that comported with due process if they did decide to challenge their placement on the list. So how did this uh, letter go over with the deputies? <laughs> Not so well. Shortly after the letter was sent out, the Association of Los Angeles Deputy Sheriffs, ALADS for short, and we're just going to call this case ALADS, they filed a petition for a writ of mandate uh, for a temporary restraining order. Uh, preliminary injunction and a permanent injunction in the LA Superior Court asking that the Sheriff's Department be prevented from disclosing the Brady list or the identity of any individual on the list to any DA or prosecutorial agency without a court order obtained pursuant to Pitches and the Pitches statutes and they also said you can't keep a copy, they were asking, uh, you can't keep a copy of the letter sent to the Sheriff's Department or any similar letters in any of these listed deputies personnel files. In addition, they asked the court to bar the taking of any punitive action, such as a transfer or a restriction of duties, against any deputy on the list, and to bar the department from placing any deputy on the Brady list based on a disciplinary action that was overturned or found not to be proven during an appeal to the Civil Service Commission, and to bar the department from placing any deputy on the Brady list without first providing the deputy with a chance for an administrative appeal. So how did the trial court rule? Well, they issued an order for a preliminary injunction that gave them some of what they wanted. They prevented the sheriff's department from disclosing the Brady list as a whole to any party outside the department. They disclosed the, they prevented them from disclosing the identity of any individual deputy on the Brady list to any party outside the department with one exception. It, it allowed disclosure to the prosecutorial agencies if the deputy was a potential witness in a pending criminal prosecution. What it did was it prevented advanced disclosure of a Brady list to prosecutors absent a pending case. On the other hand, the injunction did not prevent the department, the sheriff's department, from creating and maintaining an internal Brady list or from taking action against any deputy because they were placed on the Brady list including transferring or restricting their duties, although it made sure to also provide that if the deputy was transferred or placed on restrictive duties, 
they retained all their administrative rights under the Peace Officers Bill of Rights Act, which is sometimes referred to as POBRA. Lastly, the order said the department was not precluded from disclosing any future Brady list to prosecutorial agencies insofar as it consisted only of non-sworn employees. In other words, uh, persons who were not subject to, the, to, to POBRA, the Peace Officers Bill of Rights Act. What happened next? ALADS, that's the deputy sheriffs, they filed an immediate petition for a writ of mandate in the appellate court asking for an order that would effectively prevent the sheriff's department from maintaining the internal Brady list, from disclosing the identity of any deputy on that list to a district attorney's office without filing a pitches motion and getting a, an accompanying court order, uh, even where the deputy was a potential witness, preventing them from restricting or transferring uh, any of these individuals or taking any action against the deputy because they were on the list, and uh, from creating and disclosing any future Brady list that included, uh, that even included non-sworn employees outside the scope of uh, POBRA. So what did the appellate court say about the trial court's ruling? Well, the appellate court said the trial court essentially didn't go far enough. Well, I say they, the appellate court. Two of the three justices, there was a, a vigorous concurring and dissenting opinion. But the majority said the trial court's order properly prevented the advanced disclosure of the identity of any deputy on the list to the prosecution. But that it also improperly allowed the department to provide a Brady tip where the deputy was identified as a witness in a pending case. The appellate court said the department could not disclose the identity of any individual deputy on the uh, Brady list to anybody else uh, outside of the sheriff's department, even if the deputy was a witness in a pending criminal prosecution, unless there was a properly filed, heard, and granted pitches motion accompanied by a court order. What was the reasoning behind uh, this aspect of the court's holding? Well, the appellate court said this. They said the pitches statutes, and those are uh, penal code sections 832.7, 832.8, and evidence code sections 1043 through 1045, they said those lay out procedures for accessing peace officer personnel records. And they require both, those statutes require both criminal defendants and prosecutors to file a written motion that establishes good cause for the discovery of information in those personnel records. And even if such a showing is made, so they get the in-camera hearing, the records could only be disclosed after the trial court has reviewed them in camera and determined them to be relevant. The appellate court said absent compliance with these procedures, personnel records of peace officers, as well as the information in them, are confidential and cannot be disclosed in any criminal or civil proceeding. So the majority believed that providing the prosecution with a Brady list without first complying with the Pitches procedures would violate the Pitches statutes, regardless of whether the information was released before or after a criminal case was filed. Uh, involving a deputy who was on the list as a witness. Even though the information being provided was limited just to a name and uh, a generic reference to the Brady list. Yeah. The appellate court relied on several cases that involved public records requests for information by media organizations, which had basically held that the Pitches statutes protect the name or identities of peace officers to the extent such a disclosure is also linked or links the officers to disciplinary investigations in their personnel files.
Now, the concurring and dissenting opinion, they didn't believe those cases uh, controlled because they weren't requests for information by prosecutors in criminal cases. But the majority opinion believed these distinctions were irrelevant, since the Pitcher statutes and their requirements do not make distinctions among those who are seeking the information or the type of proceedings in which uh, this re these records are sought. Well, what about the <coughs> fact that these requests for Brady lists were, were prompted by uh, a prosecutor's due process obligations? Well, the court recognized that prosecutors have an affirmative obligation under Brady to disclose all favorable material evidence within their possession, including favorable material impeachment evidence uh, if they've got a criminal case. The court was also aware that this duty to disclose extended not only to evidence in its immediate possession, but also to evidence in the possession of members of the prosecution team, which would include uh, law enforcement. Nevertheless, the appellate court said the California Supreme Court, as a general matter, has at least twice expressly observed that the statutory pitches procedures do not violate either Brady or constitutional due process, but they supplement both. In addition, the appellate court pointed to the appellate court, another appellate court decision in People v. Gutierrez, which rejected a defense claim that the pitches statutes were unconstitutional. So it sounds like the, the court here in uh, ALADS framed the issue presented as one of constitutional dimension. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly right. The court believed that the primary issue in the case was whether the Pitches scheme violated due process and is therefore unconstitutional. The majority believed that if it ruled the Sheriff's Department could release the information without the prosecution complying with the Pitches procedures, it would effectively have to find that Brady compelled the Sheriff's Department to violate the Pitches scheme. In other words, that the Pitches scheme was unconstitutional insofar as it protected the personnel files of the deputy who was also a witness in a filed prosecution. The majority believed that if it ruled in favor of the Sheriff's Department, then every state and local law enforcement agency in California would be required to provide Brady tips whenever there's a criminal case pending involving a deputy on the list as a witness. Did the majority <coughs> find any other problem uh, with the injunction allowing for disclosure um, to the prosecution absent compliance with the Pitches statutes? Yes. They said, as worded, the injunction allows disclosure outside of the Pitches procedures whenever a Brady List deputy is a potential witness in a pending criminal prosecution. But they pointed out that not all potential witnesses in a criminal case will have information in their files that is significant enough for this information to be material, which Brady requires as a prerequisite for disclosure. Therefore, they said, look, the injunction is overbroad, even assuming that uh, they could uh, require the disclosure of these Brady tips. Jeff, almost exactly two years before uh, the court issued its opinion in ALADS, the California Supreme Court decided a case called Johnson. In that case, in the Johnson case, didn't the California Supreme Court essentially approve of a Brady tip system like the one at issue here? Kind of. In Johnson, which involved a San Francisco Police Department system very similar to that envisioned by the uh, LA Sheriff's Department, the court ruled that the prosecution does not have direct access to peace officer personnel files just because an officer is a witness in a criminal case. 
They said both the prosecution and the defense must comply with the PITCHA statutes to obtain access to those files. Thus, if a police department provided a Brady tip about information in an officer's file to the DA's office, the prosecution could meet its due process obligation by filing its own Brady Pitches motion or by informing the defense of the Brady tip so that the defense could file their own uh, Pitches motion. But, as pointed out by the majority in the Court of Appeal, the Johnson Court did not expressly rule that it was constitutionally permissible to provide a Brady tip. The Johnson Court didn't discuss the legality under Pitches of the San Francisco Police Department's initial disclosure to the DA that the officers had Brady material in their personnel files. Well, they may not have ruled that the Brady tip system was constitutional, but they did say that the uh, San Francisco Police Department had laudably established procedures to streamline the Brady uh, pitches process. Why would they say that if those procedures were unconstitutional? Well, that was one of the points made by the concurring and dissenting justice, as well as uh, the sheriff's department and a couple of amicus briefs that were filed in the, in the case. But the majority believed that was just dicta and that it didn't have to be followed. The majority said the Johnson court's brief, the brief description of the order in Johnson as laudable was not dispositive in terms of their ruling on what they called the ultimate and serious constitutional issue raised in the case, which they said, if that dicta were followed, would, in the opinion of the majority, require the pitches scheme to be invalidated as unconstitutional. And was there also an attorney general opinion um, saying that providing Brady tips was a valid means of balancing the pitches scheme and our Brady obligations? Yes, the majority opinion did not give much respect to the AG opinion, even though they recognized they were supposed to give them respect. They said AG opinions are advisory only and they're not binding on the courts. Did the majority uh, take into consideration at all the unworkability of requiring a prosecutor to make a pitches motion merely to find out whether or not a deputy in a pending prosecution has potential Brady material in his personnel file? The concurring and dissenting justice did and the majority didn't disagree that the system the sheriff wanted to install might be more efficient. But that didn't carry very much weight with them in light of their certainty that the system violated the pitches statutes. Jeff, it sounds like the uh, majority opinion dealt in depth with the prosecutor's Brady obligation. Did it consider the possibility that the law enforcement agency, the sheriff's department, itself might have a Brady obligation? They didn't even though the concurring and dissenting justice recognized that there's a distinction between these two obligations. Did the appellate court find that the trial court was correct in uh, allowing the sheriff's department to maintain an internal Brady list and permitting the deputies to be transferred or restricted in their duties due to their placement on the list? Yes. They said nothing in the Pitches statutes discusses or prohibits the internal collection of data based on past events that were, uh, that were found to have occurred after an investigation and administrative hearing by the employing law enforcement agency. They also pointed out that Government Code Section 3305.5a, which is a, a relatively new statute that has become part of POBRA, that statute prohibits any punitive action uh, against an officer or any denial of promotion uh, of any public safety officer solely because the officer has been placed on the Brady list 
or because that officer's name might otherwise be subject to disclosure under Brady. But the majority, after questioning whether or not this section's definition of a Brady list even applied to Brady lists maintained internally by police departments as opposed to DA uh, Brady lists, they then went on to say, even assuming that this section could potentially ap apply, POBRA doesn't bar transferring an officer or restricting their duties for non-punitive reasons as would be the case if they were transferred or restricted based solely on their credibility being called into question. What did the majority say about the trial court's language purporting to address the Sheriff's Department power authority with respect to a Brady list involving non-sworn employees? The majority didn't address the substantive question of whether the Sheriff's Department could release those names. However, what they did say was the order was invalid to the extent it would allow the department to do so because the non-sworn employees of the Sheriff's Department weren't parties to the, to the action here, and they weren't represented in the litigation. So the majority said the question of whether disclosure of non-sworn employees on a Brady list, whether or not that would be proper, was beyond the scope of the issues fairly raised by the litigation up to this point, and therefore it was also beyond the scope of the trial court's injunctive authority in the context of the immediate case. So th they left the substantive question open. All right. Well, up till now, we've been discussing the opinion and the rationale behind the opinion. I'd like to use the remainder of our time to discuss some of the issues that we think will arise in the wake of this opinion. First, do we know if the Sheriff's Department is going to be asking the California Supreme Court to take the opinion up for review? Well, that decision, uh, at least at, at the time of this taping, has not yet been made. I know that the attorney for the Sheriff's Department has been contacted by representatives from several Northern California prosecutors' offices. Uh, I myself called them. Uh, and we've requested that they take up or petition for review. So maybe by the time this show airs, we will know one way or the other, but we just don't know at this point. In your opinion, do you think law enforcement agencies are now barred from providing Brady tips to prosecutorial agencies at all? I think an argument can be made that in light of the language in Johnson and the AG opinion, law enforcement agencies that do provide Brady tips could likely continue with the practice. That being said though, there is no case holding that a law enforcement agency is required to provide Brady tips. And if an agency decided not to provide Brady tips based on the ALADS decision, it would be difficult to say that that was entirely the wrong approach. Well, are there any reasons for law enforcement agencies not to follow the ALADS decision? Yes, several. First off, while no court has ruled that it violates due process for a police department, police department to fail to provide Brady information contained in a personnel file, it is possible and certainly reasonable to believe that once the Ninth Circuit or the U.S. Supreme Court are directly confronted with the issue, they might so find. Why do you think that? Well, consider this. While the United States Supreme Court has never imposed specifically a Brady obligation on the police, there are numerous uh, federal circuit courts finding that due process requires the police to disclose exculpatory information to the prosecutor, or at least that the police are subject to civil liability for failing to do so. Even if the violation is not technically a Brady violation, and even if the police do not act in bad faith. In other words, there's a due process obligation, at least according to the Ninth Circuit. As recently as 2013, the court in Gantt versus City of LA stated, 
We have held in no uncertain terms that Brady's requirement to disclose material exculpatory and impeachment evidence to the defense applies equally to prosecutors and peace officers. And in the accompanying uh, points and authorities or IPG memo uh, that it's, we, we, we send out in, in conjunction with this presentation, I, there's like 20 or almost 20 cases holding police can violate due process by withholding exculpatory information. I don't know if it can be seriously doubted that if the police are aware that evidence impeaching the credibility of a prosecution civilian witness, if they're aware of it, does anyone doubt that they would be liable for failing to disclose it? I think a court could say, why should the rule be any different when the witness to be impeached is a police officer? Second, if no information is provided uh, by way of this Brady list, some courts may find there is insufficient good cause to release any information to the prosecution. This is something that was raised by the concurring and dissenting opinion. Even assuming the prosecution was inclined to try and file a pitches motion to obtain the information. If we can't get the information and the defense counsel doesn't bother to file a pitches motion, what's going to protect the conviction from reversal based on ineffective assistance to counsel grounds when it turns out there's actually information in the file and that comes to light after the conviction? I mean, law enforcement has no less an interest than the prosecution in keeping these bad guys locked up. And if convictions are reversed, they get out. Third, by eliminating the most efficient method for getting at potential Brady material in personnel files, there will undoubtedly be an increase in the number of pitches motions filed by the defense, who can no longer rely on the prosecution to alert them when there's Brady information in the officer's file, or uh, there will be additional pitches motions filed by the prosecution. By forcing either the defense or the prosecution to file pitches motions in every case, there is going to be a huge suck on law enforcement resources. Every pitches motion requires a city attorney or county council response and an appearance by a custodian of records. Law enforcement agencies may not want to have to assign additional personnel to handle these duties, especially when the vast majority of these motions may be on officers who have nothing in their files. Jeff, some county council are wondering whether, assuming the decision in ALANS is correct, uh, there's any duty on the part of the prosecution to return any Brady lists that have been provided to them in the past. I seriously doubt it. Once we've been provided the information, we cannot divest ourselves of it. Even if we were to return the physical documents, the, the list that was actually provided, or any documents that were provided that were originally released to us, we will still be deemed to be in possession of the content of the information on that list. For Brady purposes, knowledge equals possession. We can't divest ourselves of it. Does ALADS prevent law enforcement agencies from providing information to prosecutorial agencies regarding criminal investigations, arrests, or convictions of officers? That kind of information is not protected by the Pitches statutes. Law enforcement agencies should still be able to provide this information even if they choose to follow ALADS when it comes to internal IA findings. If they don't, prosecutors' offices will likely have to start running rap sheets on police officers in every case. Does ALADS prevent law enforcement agencies from providing information to prosecutorial agencies that indicate officers have engaged in misconduct from other sources than sources other than the, the personnel files? Uh, it shouldn't. I mean, presumably, for example, if you've got a case involving an allegation of police misconduct and it gets reported in the press, the agency could pass on that article, 
even though ALADS would prevent them from passing on any information about what happened with the follow-up IA investigation. Until the ALAS decision is taken up for review, what should prosecutors' offices that have established procedures for obtaining potential information in peace officer personnel files by the way of Brady tips do? Uh, continue their systems if the agencies are still willing to provide the information? Is there a way of getting around ALADS, assuming it stays on the books? Greg, that may be the best question, even though you saved it for last, that, you, that we've asked so far. In the accompanying IPG and uh, points and authorities, we discuss some of the risks and rewards each office might want to take into account in deciding what to do if law enforcement agencies feel they can no longer provide Brady tips in light of ALADS. We don't, however, uh, have time to discuss all these calculations uh, during this presentation. As to whether we can get around ALADS, I don't know. I mean, maybe we could ask the agencies just to provide a list of all the officers that don't have any sustained findings in their files, and then just file Brady Pitches motion, motions on officers who are not on the list. <laughs> no actual records from the personnel files would be released, and the department would not be giving us the identity of a police officer that is derived from a personnel file that connects that officer to administrative disciplinary proceedings or complaints of misconduct that were contained in the personnel file. On a slightly more serious note, legislation amending the Pitcher statutes to allow for limited disclosure is another possible way of dealing with the decision if it remains on the books. So far, law enforcement has managed to avoid legislation that would eliminate a lot of the Pitcher's protections. But if this decision stands, it may have the unintended consequence of encouraging legislation that would be way more destructive of peace officer privacy than simply allowing Brady tips to be provided. Interesting. Well, Jeff, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, thank you for your time and your insight. Well, uh, thank you for, for joining me uh, on this presentation, Greg. Appreciated being allowed to come into the house. <laughs>